This is The Takeaway. I'm Melissa Harris-Perry. It's been a rough couple of weeks for Microsoft, in the gaming space that is. The company behind the ever-evolving Xbox staked its gaming resurgence on its system-exclusive Redfall. Vampires, cultists, psychic phenomena. Never seen anything like it. This is not the Redfall I remember. Of course, Microsoft might not want to remember either. The company had high hopes for the vampire looter shooter, but those hopes have been dashed. The game's widely panned by gamers and critics alike and boasts consistently low scores in reviews. The Redfall gaming debacle follows on the heels of another blow to Microsoft's gaming bottom line. The company hoped to purchase powerhouse developer and publisher Activision in a deal worth nearly $70 billion. The developer is known for franchise hits like Call of Duty and Diablo. But the UK's Competition and Markets Authority blocked the deal due to their concerns surrounding the future of cloud gaming. Microsoft's vice chair and president Brad Smith had this to say in part, following the deal being blocked. Quote, we remain fully committed to this acquisition and will appeal. The CMA's decision rejects a pragmatic path to address competition concerns and discourages technology innovation and investment in the United Kingdom. Ethan Gatch is a senior reporter at Kotaku, and he joins us to break down Microsoft's current place in the gaming industry. Ethan, welcome to The Takeaway. Hi, Melissa. Thank you so much for having me. All right. So lots of folks hear Microsoft and think like Word or Outlook because I am Gen X, but within the world of gaming, it's definitely about Xbox. Can you give me a sense of kind of where Microsoft is situated within the gaming world? Sure. So Microsoft got into the gaming space back in the early 2000s with the first Xbox and a killer app at the time that was Halo, which was a a space marine shooter. And ever since then, they've been in strong competition with Sony, which makes the PlayStation. Um, Obviously, a lot of people are very familiar with Nintendo, but they make devices that are maybe less powerful and aren't directly competing with these more expensive uh, gaming machines. And so Microsoft has really struggled in recent years to create hits on the level of what it had in the early years with with Halo and some other games. And it's pivoted towards this strategy of acquiring other big studios and publishers and using their games to try and fill a, a new subscription service called Game Pass that is very much sort of the Windows version of gaming. Um, it's it's basically taking the subscription model that Microsoft has had a lot of success with on the Microsoft Office end on its uh, cloud computing services and trying to use that to create a platform where anyone can sign up for $15 a month and start playing games, whether they have a machine or not, they can do it on their phone, on on a PC. It's really about them sort of trying to, after struggling to sell, you know, as many Xboxes as Sony does PlayStations, trying to find a new battleground on which it can compete. When you start talking about like, okay, the actual boxes, help me to understand sort of the generations here around gaming and sort of the distinctions for gamers between having those physical consoles, which I very much remember from like the start start, right, um, to this more sort of online experience. 
Yeah, it's it's interesting. You know, gaming is in some ways at the bleeding edge of technology and culture, and in other ways, a very strange beast. If anyone was still buying buying Blu-rays, they would just expect that they would work on any machine. Um, gaming is very unique in that if you want to play certain games, they only work on certain machines. So, you know, Xbox will have a whole set of exclusives, and if you are going out to the store and deciding which console you're going to buy, a lot of that decision can be based around which you know games you want to play. If you want to play the new. Zelda coming out or Mario, then you would have to pick up Nintendo Switch. If you want to play God of War or the new Spider-Man coming out, then you would need a PlayStation 5. Uh, and then if you wanted to play Redfall or the upcoming uh, RPG Starfield, you would need an Xbox. And so for years now, each new console cycle has been a sort of competition to see who can get out of the gate with a lot of momentum and some, some big blockbusters that make the people who are upgrading maybe later in the cycle who, you know, two or three years in are saying, all right, I'm ready to buy one or this will be my first console. Which one should I get? And then they can look around and see which one seems to have the the most to offer them. As Microsoft has somewhat struggled with that, they've, they've sort of pursued this other avenue of trying to offer games in the cloud where you don't necessarily have to have a machine. You can stream you know, the biggest blockbusters ever to your phone. And the experience isn't completely great right now, but mm -hmm. it is something that is, you know, help, they hope at least they pitch it as being able to branch off into a, an entirely new audience of, of billions of people who might not ever be interested enough to spend $500 on uh, a high-end machine, but, you know, they might pay for a month to see what it's like on their phone and see if there's anything there for them. So then help us to understand where um, Activision fits in this. Is is it um, is that sort of um, movement potentially into cloud precisely why Microsoft wants to acquire? There's a question of how big cloud computing will really will be and really is right now. And right now, at least, if you are part of that ecosystem, it's sort of a perk on the side. Game Pass is this two-pronged you know, value proposition, you both get this ability to play a lot of games over the cloud on any device, but you're also getting free access if you pay for, you know, each month to a library of hundreds of games. And so there's, there's this sort of Netflix idea that instead of having to go to the store and buy a 60 or $7 game or download that, you can try a bunch of different things, find something you like, and then continue moving on to new stuff each month. And with Activision, the idea is that, well, you know, they have a, a huge library of some of the biggest, most popular games around. It's basically a machine for producing annual hits and Microsoft could purchase them for, you know, a huge amount of money, but then maybe be guaranteed these hits that would help propel this service and, you know, its, its platform in the future because people are naturally going to gravitate towards wherever these games are and wherever they can get the best experience with them and get them most cheaply. Ethan, stick with us. We're going to take a quick break, but we'll be back with more on this question of gaming and the business law rules international intrigue in just a moment. It's The Takeaway. This week on the New Yorker Radio Hour, Congress has passed a law that will ban TikTok. But why? If you are going to take away an app used by 170 million people, I believe that lawmakers and the government who ostensibly work for us, the American people, owe us more information about why that divestiture is being moved forward. Debating the TikTok ban. That's the New Yorker Radio Hour from WNYC Studios. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.
You're back with The Takeaway. I'm Melissa Harris-Perry, and we're still with Ethan Gatch, senior reporter at Kotaku, as we break down the status and the possible future of Microsoft's bid to acquire gaming developer and publisher Activision. All right, so Ethan, help us to understand a bit about sort of how the announcement was received by the gaming community as a whole, um, as well as by regulators, both in the U.S. and in the U.K., relative to this attempt to close for $70 billion. Yeah, I think it was a big shock, uh, mostly because it seemed like the UK's regulatory investigation was split up into two parts. And the first one was looking mostly at whether or not Activision's Call of Duty franchise would become an exclusive on Xbox, whether it be pulled away from everyone who currently owns a PlayStation. And for months, Microsoft and Sony were fighting back and forth about whether or not that would happen. Microsoft saying that's not going to happen. It's not finan- We're not incentivized to financially. Um, we are promising 10-year agreements that we won't do that. Sony saying that basically you, you, you can't trust that. There's all these different ways they could get around it or different ways that, that PlayStation customers would suffer. And initially, the CMAs in a provisional finding said, actually, that is a big concern. We're going to block the deal based on that. You can acquire part of Activision if you want, but not the whole thing. A month goes by, Microsoft brings new data to the table and is able to convince the CMA that actually we don't have that incentive and that's not a concern and, and that part of the deal should be able to move forward. And so at that turning point, everyone's sort of assumed, oh, this is this is probably going to go through at some point. The CMA has sort of staked out its position on some of these things and you know, maybe uh, it's it's politically at least been able to convey that it is looking very closely at these deals and is not just letting them through. And then the last part was looking at this cloud gaming portion. And because in the gaming space, it is a very small part of it right now, and it's not something that is front of mind for a lot of people, no one, I think, thought that it was going to be a big hurdle. And that's the, the, that's the part that ended up, you know, the CMA came back and said, no, actually, this is a big concern for us, and we're going to block the entire deal just for this small portion. And, uh, you know, I, obviously, Activision stock started to tank after that. Microsoft uh, surprisingly went up. It opened up a ton of questions of maybe this this recent trend of video game consolidation that we're seeing uh, will will sort of stall. What does this mean for Microsoft in the short, but maybe even more importantly in the longer term? I mean, is this really for them? Excuse me, a game changer? Like, um, do do they have a, a a plan B pathway? Oh, I think definitely for Microsoft. Um, you never know how these deals come about, and how much of it is that certain people in charge at the time decide that this would be a great play and this would be a way to um you know create a new path forward for the company or it's it's just an opportunistic thing you know one important thing to remember is that at the time the deal came about activision was uh, a couple of its big games were delayed its stock price was down a lot and it was facing this uh, unprecedented lawsuit by the state of california alleging widespread sexual discrimination um, and harassment at the company for years. At the time the deal came out, it very much felt like this was almost sort of a way for Activision and its C-suite to sort of exit the business and give this um, very valuable company to Microsoft for a premium and $95 a share and kind of get a reboot on that whole uh, legacy there. For Microsoft, they could take the money. They could. There's plenty of other publishers they could buy. Um, for Microsoft, as a, as at large, you know, gaming is not an existential part of their business. It is a very big part. It's a very important part. But they obviously are very invested in Windows and in out Azure complete computing. So I think the 
for people who are invested in the Xbox ecosystem, there's a big question of what am I here for? Um, like, <laughs> I think at some point when there were issues with Xbox, I mean, we mentioned Redfall. There's a, a sense among people who have invested in Xbox, who played a lot of when am I going to get some of these huge hits on the the scale of what people might be getting with Nintendo or with Sony. And in lieu of those big hits, the deal made it feel like, well, I'll eventually get Call of Duty on Game Pass. I'll get Diablo 4 on Game Pass. Mm -hmm. So I will get this huge benefit where for a very low price each month, I can get access to the biggest games around. And so even if there aren't a lot of new exclusive blockbuster IPs coming out of Xbox, I will at least have this great uh, sort of deal on my hands that makes it very uh, convenient and appealing to go pick up an Xbox because you don't have to start buying a bunch of games and stuff. You can get access to all these things immediately. So I think now with that, with this deal on hold and potentially down and out, it's it leaves that question of of what is Microsoft's next thing on the gaming front to offer people, and there's no clear answer. As you were talking about, you know, we can never be sure if it's just somebody inside who's like, this is the way to go, right? Like I have this vision in my head of like a succession version of what's going on, you know, with these decisions. And and I guess I'm I'm wondering, you know, so I am not a gamer, got lots of gamers in the family, but I do wonder about sort of in the, again, in the kind of 10 year term, let's say maybe even 20, if having consoles, right, hardware, can possibly make sense across, right? Like um, the, the, that it creates a barrier to entry, even a barrier to entry to like older games that um, that you then have to, you know, actually go out and find like older um, devices to play on. Like given that we all are always carrying phones with us, it, I'm, I guess I'm just not quite capturing why there'd ever be a long-term investment in the hardware. Well, I, and I think Microsoft is exactly that's or the Xbox team, especially that's exactly their thinking, which is that um, the the days of these of this hardware being a huge selling point and being a big profit driver are over. And we need to pivot. You know, the, the margins on consoles have gotten worse and worse. They're not great. Uh, usually where companies are making a lot of their money is on the games they sell for those those consoles, because like Apple, for instance, they get um, on average a 30 percent cut of all the the sales, especially digital sales. And now in terms of in-games like Fortnite and other things, microtransaction sales, uh, sales of, of cosmetics and other stuff, you know, these huge in-game economies around um, things you buy for your characters. And so I think they are seeing like it's a lot of work to produce this console every so many years. Um, there's a lot of headaches involved. It's very hard to compete. So what if we could sort of rise above that? And yes, whether it's through cloud gaming or through just being a, a sort of a, a huge publisher of games, um, make money through those because that's much more profitable for them. And so I do think, you know, one of the big questions is really cloud gaming probably would be a lot bigger, especially here in the U.S. right now, if other issues were solved like the infrastructure. You know, the U.S. has notoriously bad internet providers in terms of competition. The services aren't great. The prices are high. The speeds are slow. If that were to turn around in five to 10 years, I think you probably would see that. I, it, to your point, it's probably more a question of if it is going to happen in five to 10 years or it's going to happen in 10 to 20 years. And that would be obviously a huge difference for for sort of what their strategy is in the short term. Ethan Gadge, thank you so much for taking the time out with us today on The Takeaway. Thank you so much for having me. Ethan Gadge is a senior reporter at Kotaku.